But we've been doing things, every week's been a little bit different. We've had uh, songs of scripture, we've had stations, we've had sharing Sunday like we had last Sunday. And this week we're, uh, well, I'm giving a sermon, so that's a little bit more normal, but it's still a little bit weird. And secondly, uh, it's a little bit different for me because, well, I'm heading out here at the end of the month, so it's my last time sharing here, and so it's good to be here with everyone. Well, we're in this Advent series. We've been looking at the Simeon and Anna passage found in Luke 2, and what's been really sticking out, uh, at least to me, is how Simeon and Anna kind of had to slow down in how they lived their life. Things could be really busy in our lives, but Simeon and Anna had this way of just disconnecting from the busyness and the hustle that we always find ourselves in. As I was thinking about what I wanted to share on this week, I was in here, it was like 5 p.m. I couldn't help but notice 72 72 during rush hour can just get a lot of cars. You get like cars backed up from that light all the way back here. Trying to turn out here could be chaos. And I was just thinking about the hustle and bustle that we always find ourselves in. When I'm driving somewhere, I'm driving in my five-speed Mazda, and I don't, I don't have too much patience. I, I, I like using that five-speed Mazda. I don't really have patience or like you're driving on 72 and someone's going to take a left-hand turn, I want them to like, you know, you get near the line in the middle so that way I can pass them on the right. And if they don't do that, I get really impatient. Not really a good thing. But there's something about like seeing the traffic buzz by that makes you think about the hustle and bustle that we have in our lives. We got these things on our calendar. We got places we got to be, we got things, we, different things we got to go do, and I want to get there as quick as I can all the time. Simeon and Anna are these two people that lived their lives kind of outside that hustle and bustle and eagerly awaiting what is to come. And <laughs> Oftentimes, we think to ourselves, well, us, things have never been this chaotic in the world. We've never had this much technology. People didn't used to have cars. We live our lives so much faster. We have these phones now. Everything is so chaotic nowadays. Well, eh. I want to look at what Anna's life probably looked like. Because it kind of can show us a little bit about how we live our lives. I, in particular, want to look at Anna. It says, Anna, a prophet or prophetess, was there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and began praising God. 
she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So there's a couple details here. This translation makes it seem that she was 84. Other translations will make it seem that she's like older than that. She could be 84, she could be like 105. Either way, she's pretty old. And then the next thing it talks about is talks about how she's the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. Most of us don't really, we don't really make too much of it. But there's such only a little bit talking about Anna here that the author Luke probably put everything in here for a reason. Phanuel, as I did a little research on it, means has seen the face of God. Her dad's name means has seen the face of God. And the tribe of Asher actually is a reference to, the tribe of Asher is known for being a tribe that a lot of prophets have come from. So it's included, those two things are included to show her lineage. It's to give her credibility. And she's described as a prophetess. She's the only woman that's named as a prophetess in the New Testament. There's a couple other women mentioned, but we don't get their names. And in this gospel, only her and Jesus are called prophets. So Anna is a very credible person, definitely very close to the Lord. And it describes her as living in the temple, as living her life in the temple. Now, when I first read this passage, I associate temple with like a church. So when I first read this passage, I can't help but think of her being in a church throughout the week. And throughout the week, normally churches could be pretty empty. And so I picture her as being in this quiet church space, Regardless of the church is small or if the church is big, either way, I picture this quiet, relaxing space. But that's not really what the temple was like. The temple was this bustling economic hub. She more, we, so it describes her as praying, fasting, worshiping. It was more like she was praying, fasting, worshiping in, say, uh, Central Market in Lancaster than here in a church. This is uh, one of the most famous depictions of what the temple would have looked like. This, it's a miniature model, as you can tell by this railing here. But the backing of this, this is Jerusalem. The temple is kind of on the side of the city. This is the city of Jerusalem here, pretty large city. This right here is the temple, the temple proper. And this surrounding it is called the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, this is 36 acres, so it's not a small little thing. And then this is the temple itself. Herod, the king of this area, built this temple as a sign of power to show off, and it was considered a modern wonder, and people would visit from all over the Roman Empire to visit this miraculous, huge building. And at this time, it was still in construction. In this area, all around here, this was called the Court of the Gentiles. And in this area, there was all kinds of things being sold. It was a bazaar, an economic hub. So picture, what is it in Philly? It's called Reading Terminal. What's the Reading Terminal? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Can't get it straight. Picture like Reading Terminal in Philly. 
how it's super full of people selling different things, super busy, you're constantly having to walk around people. This would have been packed with all sorts of things. One of the biggest things being bought and sold would be sacrifices. Most of the people would not be raising their own livestock to offer for sacrifices. A lot of people would have to walk a long way. Like Mary and Joseph probably bought the birds that they used to sacrifice. And so people would be buying sacrifices. People would be exchanging money from the Roman currency to appropriate temple currency. And there would be tons of food being sold. Anything being sold, this area was a huge economic bustling hub. And then this area, this... Uh, this thing died on me. This, uh, this is called Solomon's Portico, something like that. And there was courts in there. You would get your deeds uh, notarized there. Lots of different official administrative buildings were in there as well. So this is really a huge economic bustling hub. And then the temple proper, you had, this was the woman's, called the woman's courtyard. Only Jewish people would be allowed in any part of this, but women could only go in this part. This part was only for priests and or Jewish men. forget exactly what it is. But, so for example, Joseph and Mary would be in this part right here as they were dedicating Jesus. Most of the sacrifices would be offered in this part. This part was 200 feet by 200 feet, roughly a square. 200 feet by 200 feet, but pretty much all the sacrifices would be offered in this area. So, for example, during religious festivals, there'd be upwards of 300,000 people in this temple complex. And everyone would have to be getting into here to offer their sacrifices. Now, the story that takes place is not during a religious festival, but they're still in the temple complex itself, probably... 5,000, 50,000 people, maybe even 100,000 people in this Temple Mount complex. It's super busy, super chaotic. That feeling that you get when you're in, say, Central Market, except you'd be way more people. Like that feeling you get when, say, you're in Reading Terminal and it's just super busy. And like, say, inner city Philly or downtown New York, that's the feeling that would be around there. Super busy all the time. And Anna, in the midst of all this, devotes her life to prayer, fasting, and worship. There's always noise happening. There's always all this stuff happening. But somehow, in the midst of all this, she spends her life in prayer, in fasting, and worship. It's not like she's in this quiet space where it's necessarily easy to do that. There's lots of distractions, lots of things going on. She has seen, in the course of her time there, there's been millions of different people in this Temple Mount. And in the courtyard where the sacrifices are offered, there have been hundreds of thousands of different Jewish people. She's seen thousands of young couples come in to offer their firstborn son. But somehow, when she sees Mary and Joseph, probably for the first time in her life, 
she recognizes through the Spirit's prompting who Jesus is, the significance of Mary and Joseph. Now, many of us here in this context, we are in suburban or rural areas, so we aren't constantly in this kind of craziness that she found herself in. But we still oftentimes find ourselves kind of in a hectic, busy world. Drive down to Fruitville Pike, down around that Chick-fil-A, and you're going to be in some sort of hectic world. I'll tell you that. And so we read this text, and from it we see this call of how we are to spend our time kind of in alignment with God's time. Sometimes we like to go, well, I have God's time. I'll spend some time with God for a certain period of my day. That's when it will be God's time. But it's not about spending a certain portion of our lives with God. Our whole lives have to be oriented around God. We have to find the way to disconnect from the craziness that we find ourselves in so that any moment we can be receptive to the Spirit's promptings. See, God's timing can be very different. Sometimes God's timing can be very slow, but other times God's timing can be very fast. From the time that, say, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were exiled until the Messiah finally came to rescue everyone was anywhere from between 500 to 700 years. The people of Israel had to wait 500, 600, 700 years for Jesus the Messiah to come. Anna and Simeon were on the older side of things. They had to wait a pretty long time, but we're talking multiple, multiple generations having to wait for this Messiah. It was pretty slow. God's timing was pretty slow when it came to the Messiah finally coming. But when the Messiah did come, Things happen way faster than anyone expected. Think of when Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus recognizes there's something special with Jesus. He sits down and has a conversation with Jesus. But Nicodemus and some of the other religious leaders were like, Jesus, you've got to respect some of the religious traditions we've made over this time. We've set these institutions, these things in place to help us in our waiting process. And Jesus goes, you don't, you don't understand. The Messiah is finally here. you got to get on board. Things happen really fast with Jesus. Sometimes we get accustomed to this slow waiting patience. But then when the time comes, when the Spirit has arrived, ready to fulfill some promises, oftentimes it happens faster than what we're comfortable with. The Spirit's timing it's difficult for everyone. Some of us like to live lives faster. I have no time for patience. I like doing things, I like being busy. Some of us like to live our lives a little bit more laid back. We don't mind waiting. But for regardless of who we are, the Spirit's timing is uncomfortable. The words that were shared last week were around patience and posture. 
I certainly feel that for myself. I don't like to have patience. As I look back through my journal, the first word I wrote during our Songs of Scriptures week as I was sitting reflecting on this was patience. God's timing, slowing down, snail's pace, slow, comatose. Comatose, I can't say that word. And I think as we enter in for all of our lives, as we try to grow in our patience, in our posture of patience, I think of two keys. I think of the posture that we're supposed to take. I think of the words that were shared last week around, like, the words, the this, this psalm, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. And what I think of that, what I think of is thanking God, praising God for all of the good things. The key for us to get in time, to get in tune with the Lord's timing is to be thankful for what the Lord has done. Think about all the good things that the Lord has done in our lives and in other people's lives, in all the ways that we know that the Lord is good. And secondly, out of the thankfulness for God, we need to trust God because we know how good He is. We need to trust God's timing. And as Katrina and I were chatting this week a little bit about what I should share during this time, there were um, three questions that came to our mind. Ashish, if you want to flip it, I don't know why it's not working. I have a slide on three questions. If you're the kind of person that likes writing things down, and if you want things to chew on for the week, these are three questions for you to think about this week. First off, question is, these three things around the three stations that we had. First off is around hope. What are we hoping for? We need to remind ourselves of some of the good things that we know are coming in our life as Christians. We know the hopes that we have in our lives. So the first question for us to think about is, what are we hoping for? This station that we did was the station with the paintings as we reflected on hope. I think of sunrise as the ultimate thing when I think of as hope. And so for me, I have to keep reminding myself of the hopes in my life, which should be revolving around Jesus. The second thing is waiting. We had that station with the acorn and the tree and how long it takes as you wait. If you plant a fruit tree, you have to wait this long time. So the second question is, how are we waiting? This process of waiting often could be a long time. Multiple generations went in this 500, 600 period for the Israelites as they waited for the Messiah. The season of Advent is us remembering how we are in this constant state of waiting. We await Christmas when you're a kid. You wait for those gifts under the tree. And we await for Christ's second coming. But as we have these hopes, how are we waiting? And third... Are we releasing our expectations? 
the story here of Simeon. Simeon recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, but I wonder how Simeon expected the Messiah to act. A lot of people expected the Messiah to be a militaristic king that would restore independency for the Israelites. There's no way that Simeon knew that Jesus was going to die on the cross, die a criminal's death at the hand of the government. I wonder what Simeon's expectations were. Because the way that God, the way that Jesus was going to fulfill these promises was nothing like people were expecting. So the question for us is how are we releasing our expectations? Are we releasing our expectations? So worship band comes forward. As we've been in this Advent series, for me personally, the themes of, I think, slowing down is a theme for me, but this theme of patience has come up time and time again. I don't really like patience. I don't think many of us like patience. And the other thing that's come up is this theme of posture as we look as to how we are to live our lives, aligning ourselves with the Spirit. It's... I can imagine being a people that had to wait 500 years. There was these people, they were suffering under the Roman power, suffering in hard times, going through things that I mean, many of us haven't gone through, hardships that many of us have not faced. And they were awaiting to be saved, eagerly awaiting, eagerly hoping for the Messiah, for the promised one to come and save them. And this patience, this waiting period was this long, long time. But people like Simeon and Anna had faith in God, had faith that the Messiah was to come, and ultimately they were delivered. All those that place our trust in Jesus, we will endure the sufferings that we go through in our life. Oftentimes it takes patience. God doesn't work instantly. The results aren't instant. But if we have faith, we're going to get through it. This Advent season is the season where we remember how we are called to be this patient people that puts our faith in the Messiah. And we need to remember that the, the way that the Messiah works, the way that the Spirit works, ultimately are in ways that we cannot fathom, ways that we cannot comprehend. Dear Lord, thank you so much just for the things that you do for us, the ways that you work in our lives. I pray that we can have patience. I pray that we can have a posture that aligns with you. 
I pray that we can have endurance to go through the hard things that we go through in life. And I pray that all of us here know just how much you love us.